Hi everyone, this is Pete Perusik. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Weathered Athlete Podcast, a place for us to honor those athletes that refuse to go quietly into the night. As a weathering triathlete and a physical therapist, I will spend my time talking with those athletes that continue to make the necessary repairs and continue to move forward. They may have a few cracks in their foundation or a squeaky step, and their patinas may continue to fade, but they are no less glorious than years prior. In fact, I feel they have more heart and resolve as they have weathered and can provide the pathway and set the standard that we should all live by. My goal is to determine what sets these individuals apart from the rest of society. After the discussion is over, I encourage you to stick around to hear a breakdown from a physical therapist's perspective on how this weathering athlete is able to keep moving forward. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave me a comment, and share with your friends. Today, I'm honored to be joined for mile number 16 by a triathlete, triathlon coach, and director of E3 Endurance, and someone I have known for five years. His name is Matt Clancy. Part of the thing I love the most about doing this podcast is being able to take a deep dive into people's backgrounds. Over the years, most of our conversations have related to race schedules, fundraising, uh, bike upkeep, or techniques learned as it relates to any clinics that I've attended that he's given. I am so thankful for the time Matt afforded me and his willingness to provide insight into the evolution of his athletic career and the creation of E3 Endurance. We take a deep dive into his journey over the years, including things that made him a better athlete as he worked towards getting his pro card, and how his sports psychology degree provides a foundation for self-growth and as he works to assist other athletes he trains. As you will hear, Matt provides great proof on how if you're willing to set realistic goals, push those boundaries and never stop anything is possible. I hope you enjoy. Hey Pete. Hey, what's going on, Matt? How you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm good. Hey, I appreciate you taking a little time with me. Yeah, for sure. You know, when I decided to put this thing together, you know, you offer such a I think a great perspective as one as a as an athlete yourself, as a coach, and then also as a business owner at the, especially during this time, um, dealing sure. with what you're doing. And unfortunately, you're in my same age group, I believe. So I got a, or I think you're. Are you 50 yet? 45, 49. Oh, 45. Okay, so you have. I have a couple more years, right? Because how old are you? 47. Okay, good. So you stay in that age group. I need to upgrade. I don't want you in my age group. Okay. <laughs> what, what age group are you in? I turned 50 last year, so I'm in the 50 to 54. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll join you. I'll be in there when I turn 50. You'll be 50, what, three? Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple years where, you know, not like I can compete now anyways. You know, I just try to get to the finish line. Uh, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you, yeah. finish line's a lot further away than it used to be. Yes, yeah. So, hey, um, you know, it's interesting that, you know, I've known you for, I want to say, close to five years now, but really, we've never really talked outside of, I come in, I ask you, you know, you fix up my bike, you know, I've done some clinics with you, but I really don't know your background or your history. So I'd love to just kind of dive into that if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, so how long have you uh, owned uh, E3? Well, E3 has taken a couple different shapes over the years, but since 2007, I've been coaching in my own business on my own. Um, obviously, having some uh, assistant coaches and along the way, but yeah, once I finished my master's degree in 2007, the 
the goal was to go out on my own and do my own thing. I used to coach with another organization from 2002 until 2007 for five years. And I learned a lot and they were great coaches. Um, but I thought I had something different to offer and I wanted to go a different route than just being a standard triathlon coach. Um, cause I thought of myself more of a single sport coach and I like to work with athletes of all three sports, not just triathletes. Um, yeah. and I, I don't know. I just wanted to do my, I just had my own little vision. And, um, so I started it here at the house and, and it's just grown and evolved into many different things. And, uh, and it, yeah, it currently is as is being E3 Endurance. And we've been running the same thing, the same format or uh, entity that it is today. We've been doing that since 2000, end of 2014. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, my background, you know, I started getting into, I played regular sports growing up, like most of us did. And triathlon didn't really exist. Uh, in the mainstream and definitely not in the uh, northeast in the DC area where I grew up okay um, I played football I threw shot put discus um, I dabbled in all the other sports baseball wrestling I uh, played tennis for a couple years um, and my once high school ended our size guys you know I was at yeah. five eight 160 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm not going on play. I was pretty good. I was a decent football player in high school, but that those skills aren't going to take me to college. Yeah. Um, no matter what deep division, uh, yeah, was calling. <laughs> um, and so I just lifted weights. I just ran a little bit, tried to stay healthy. All my roommates or friends were athletes. They played football or hockey at the collegiate level. So I was always in and around athletics. Um, and training, yes. and the only, and I found running just by you know coincidence or happenstance that you know late one night hanging out with these football players in college, um, there was a pamphlet at two o'clock in the morning at a Eaton Park. It's like a all night all yep. you can eat buffet kind of place in West Virginia University, and it had a it was for a ten k up in Pittsburgh, yep. and I was like. I don't think I was drinking that much, <laughs> but uh, uh, by two o'clock, things usually die down. But I, for some reason, when I was checking out, I, I grabbed it. Yeah. I was like, I want to do this. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, well, I do. I was always running. I mean, I just always ran. Yeah. Uh, not as a runner. I didn't compete in cross country and I didn't do, tra- I did, didn't do running as track and field. Um, but I didn't keep in shape for just here and there. And I would always during the summer just go run mile uh out of boredom really and i saw that i got that flyer and i was like all right i'm gonna start training for this so i just started running doing a couple things going to the track making up stuff to figure out how to run this 10k and you know went up there and uh, i don't know i ran maybe 52 minutes 54 minutes somewhere in that uh, nine minute pace whatever that is nice um and I loved every minute of it. I thought it was just fantastic. And it was a way to compete yeah. when you lose the ability to compete after high school sports for so many athletes. And uh, it wasn't shortly after that that I did a half marathon. 
I did a 15k in town and then I no, I, it was a 15k I'd never I ran that I ran that 10k in Pittsburgh I did a 15k in Morgantown and then I did a marathon um, so when I got into the sport I got the runner's world magazine that was yeah. that was popular back then and as a subscriber to runner's world magazine you get all these mail-ins from other companies that have to do with running to, to try to get you to do other stuff. And, and the popular program, uh, Leukemia Lymphoma Society, Team in Training. Yeah. You've ever heard of that group? Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, obviously you would. It's very similar to yeah. Crohn's and Colitis, yeah. uh, where I had to raise, I want to say it was $2,500 okay. back in 1995. Wow. I was a senior in college. And I could go over to Paris, France, and run the Paris Marathon. $2,500 is a lot of money back 25 years ago or whatnot, yeah. but it, it wasn't to some yeah. degree. When you think about all the money you raised for Crohn's and colitis, yeah. um, as a college kid, I was like, I'm, I don't know how to raise money. That's, I, mean, who know, who, I don't like to ask for things. Um, but I wanted to go run that marathon. I wanted to go to France. I'd never been out of the country before. Yeah. Uh, and I and I took French for all the way through college, since middle school, uh, so I could speak the language. And I, I started training, doing all sorts of weightlifting and cardio and long runs and 10 miles around a track and just everything I could do. And, and I think that's where I started to develop or my mindset for how do I do this? Because there was no... There weren't mar there wasn't a lot of marathon coaches. There weren't triathlon coaches back yeah. in the day. It was really just before everything exploded. You had to figure things out on your own. Um, I'd have a couple books here and there, yeah, and then just start using logic and what what would be a good idea here, what would not be a good idea here, and you know made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I was able to do it without getting injured, um, and uh, it really challenged me to to talk to people and ask for money and do do things that I don't currently do in as E3 endurance, but it definitely changed how I interacted with the world yeah. um, and with people who, I don't want to say change the world, but make the world move or uh, happen. Um, and uh, I was able to raise the money and I went over there and, uh, I had a great experience. I mean, it was, it was one of the most challenging things in my life. Yeah. Uh, I've never, you know, like an Ironman or something you've never done before. Just being in that environment and what you learn in that, the last 10K for me was um, was the hardest thing I'd ever done yeah. physically. And, uh, and that was a great experience. Across that finish line was just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and I don't have a lot of running experience, and I obviously didn't have a lot of racing experience. But when I crossed that finish line, I was like, man, there's something to this. I'm getting something out of this that nothing else in my life provides. Yeah. So I'm going to go explore this some more. Um, and I did. I ran, uh, I ran another marathon. And I just, the organization, being a part of a program that, you know, changes people's lives with leukemia and, yeah. uh, and that, you know, that letter or the fundraising campaign I did would change not just my life in terms of exercise and running a, a, a coaching a company, but it, it would change my life on all aspects. That's how I met my wife yeah. eventually was through this 
team and training program. Um, so it's had a, it had a big impact in my life. So it's a great, when I look back, I think it's, it was, I don't know, I was, I'm happy that I was presented that opportunity and that little pamphlet at two o'clock in the morning, um, at an Eaton park, you know, it's, it's redirected my whole life. And, and I don't, I don't, I mean, you, you're talking to a lot of people and, yeah. and I don't, I don't know if I ever talk to people in a way that you really find out how they came to be where they are. But yeah. that's always been of interest to me. Um, I was a journalism major in, in undergrad and I just love watching things or listening to podcasts or documentaries. I love finding out how people got to where they were. Um, and I love that the people who are telling the story know when that fork in the road was or where that fork in the road was. And uh, so, yeah, that's where it changed for me. Um, and, you know, it's just silly little 10 K and, and for a lot of people running a 10 K or doing an Ironman or running a marathon, you know, it doesn't, it may change their life. Yeah. Just a lot of degrees, but it, it redirected my life to where I am today. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's amazing how one, you're right. One decision kind of just sets you down a path and you think about it. You know, I was, I had talked to, uh, coach Karen back. I did her swim clinic five years ago in January. Carrie Rabondo said, Hey, you got to go to this clinic. And I'm sitting on my couch watching the football game. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this clinic. I had no idea what triathlon was. N didn't even know if I could swim across the pool. And trust me, I couldn't swim across the pool. And it's amazing how just getting off my couch and going to that swim clinic is really put me in this spot here today, five years later. Yeah. And it's, it's just amazing. And I, I think about it all the time. What if I didn't get off my couch? One, I probably wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know Walt. I wouldn't have done anything that we did over these past years. Um, so it, it's amazing how this, that one step just pushes you in a direction and it's just, it's like, it's meant to be. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. It's incredible. So you were a journalism major. So when did you, so how that, how'd you get from that, that full marathon to where you are now into triathlon and then being a coach? How did that transition kind of happen? Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, yeah. And I, that's the, I, you know, I'm going to try to make a, a long story short and a boring yeah. story. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, marathons are hard on the body, but yeah. I loved it. Um, so I did a lot of them in a short period of time in, um, not respecting, you know, as a, I started running marathons when I was 21. Okay. I stopped running marathons when I was probably 23. I did about six or seven in the short time frame, just because I wanted more and more and more. And that just caused a lot of issues with overtraining and, uh, injuries. Um, and, and as I, I left college and I moved out West I moved to California and I found the sport of triathlon okay. in this little town of Los Gatos near uh, San Francisco, went and watched the first race. One of my, uh, co-workers girlfriend was doing a triathlon so i and i had seen triathlon before and i was i knew about it in 
in the marathon world. And it was intriguing. And when I went and watched one, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I don't know why, but I want to do it. I didn't grow up as a swimmer. I didn't grow up as a runner and rode my bike like any kid rides his bike. You know, I never trained. Yeah. Um, so I, I moved and then ended up going to Los Angeles to do triathlon, to get into the sport. And that was the capital of triathlon back in the day before Boulder became what it is okay. today. Southern California was it. Okay. Um, and that's where I was going to be. And I went there knowing nothing, um, just knowing I wanted to get into the sport. And I got myself a bike that I couldn't pay for. I had to get a loan to get a triathlon bike. Yeah. Uh, it was $2,600. I remember <laughs> this. Everything in my life seems to be about $2,500. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was a, it was a $2,600 tri bike. It had what was now called Altegra on it. Uh, cool wheels, um, 650s aluminum. And uh, it was awesome. It was way above my abilities at yeah. the time. But I knew I would now grow. At least I thought. <laughs> uh, and I just uh, started just working out, going to the pool, uh, riding my bike. And this was all solo. I didn't know anybody in Los Angeles besides people I worked with. And, and none of them knew anything about the sport. Um, and I and I just uh, I did my first triathlon uh, in San Dimas, of all places, in eastern Los Angeles. And it was a sprint, lake swim. And I had no business being there, but I showed up. And about 50 yards into that, you know, it's a race. Yeah. It's the first race, so I'm going to go after it. Um, all the things I learned about marathoning, I figured, wouldn't apply here. Uh, so went after the swim and just sprinted. And by the time I hit 50 to 100 yards, I don't know where it was, but it was over. <laughs> I mean, it was over. I literally was like, I'm going to drown. And it was everything I could do to finish that swim. I literally was on my back doing side stroke. Uh, I don't know how I got myself out, out of that predicament, um, but I got all I had to do was get to the shoreline. I got to the shore, got out. Um, I don't remember taking much away from like patting myself on the back or, yeah. or just being glad I survived it, but I just moved forward, yeah. uh, got onto the bike. And that was more comfortable. It's easier to manage. And I, and the run was challenging because it's running off the bike. Like most of us, when we do our first couple of races or in our first season, it's uh, it's not a normal thing to do is to run off once you come off the bike. Um, but again, across that finish line, and that experience just somehow was uh, everything I needed where I was um, at that point in my life. Yeah. It was it gave me it, it wasn't so much the competition because it wasn't very competitive, even though you're in an environment where you're competing. Um, I liked, I liked, and this this will go back to the last question you sent me in the in the email. Um, what the hashtag would be? It was it was exploration for me. I was just yeah. learning. I was trying to figure things out, and um, I was figuring a lot out about myself in those times, those challenges. Um, whether or not I was truly reflective at that moment, I yeah. just. Uh, I don't know. There was less noise in that environment. And I could figure things out. I could be alone. And that's, I think where I enjoyed training and running as, as a youth was that I could just get away from the noise and think for myself and, and figure me out. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I got hooked just like marathon running. I'm like, oh, this is great. I did seven triathlons that first year. Uh, I even did a half Ironman, okay. which was miserable. Um, I was, <laughs> this was before, this was like right around the time they had gels. They just okay. came out, uh, but nobody knew anything about nutrition with regard to long distance or long course triathlon. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, I bonked pretty good. Yeah, say the least. Uh, but again, I just love doing difficult things. Yeah, I, there's there's so much reward um, in that, and you know, going doing the try at Ridgewood, the hospice yeah. try. That's a difficult race. I mean, yeah. the run's hard. It's hotter than heck, and and I know it's no Ironman, but it's it's a difficult thing to do, and. Yeah. I don't know why that brings me such pleasure, but to answer your question, yeah, um, I just loved it. I got into it uh, in in Los Angeles and competed in a bunch of races, and and all, you know all the names that we grew up with were in and around that scene, uh, especially if you raced out in San Diego. Uh, and I ent- eventually did an Ironman. I mean, I always wanted to do an Ironman because that's what I watched. We all did on yes. NBC yeah. Yeah. that Saturday in December. Um, but back then there were only two North American races. You could qualify for Kona back in 1998 at Memphis and May Olympic distance triathlons. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about traveling. I just yeah. didn't have the, the means yeah. to travel across the country, uh, at that time to do an Olympic and qualify for Kona. And, and you know, there's a lot more spots available. Yeah. There were a lot less, <laughs> less races. Um, but I ended up getting injured training for all these marathons during this little triathlon onset career of mine. Um, so I took some time off and then I, I was looking for a race that I could get into, um, an Ironman. There were maybe five or six in the world at that time. One of them was Ironman Switzerland. Okay. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know why it just happened to fall at a certain time and it was a good vacation for the family who were still back on the East coast. And I decided, I just said, I want to do Ironman Switzerland. Okay. Um, and I did that in 1999. Uh, again, wow. completely, you know, you got to figure out the training. I don't even know if I know Dave Scott had an Ironman book. Okay. Mostly weightlifting. He didn't have like triathlon workouts like he would today. The, the stuff he does today in comparison to when he was winning Ironmans to help, people nowadays is so much more advanced than what he was doing himself a lot of the the workouts he would just overtrain or train more than the other guy um and that's how he would win these things i mean he was just a monster yeah uh when it came to training so i had his book and i gleaned a lot of information from that went over there raced um and and like most of us we just want to get across the finish line and that was that was all i needed i had like and I punched that tick or, you know, I did that. And I, uh, and I was happy with that four year triathlon career. Yeah. When I moved back to the East coast and I was, uh, I was, it was done. I was just, that was, that was it. That was triathlon. And, and I still exercised. I still trained a little bit, but I really had retired. If you want to think of it like that. Um, but two things happened when I moved back to DC was I started training with, a former high school friend who was a national caliber duathlete, um, incredible athlete. And I just, I always thought the world of him and, and to be training with him or spending time with him 
uh, was, well, it kind of brought me up a level. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm almost as fast as this guy on the bike. I mean, I can train with him. He's on another level, but I, I can stay with him. Um, and I started coaching little league football. Okay. I was 26, 27 years old, maybe. Um, and I loved coaching little league football. I don't know why. These were kids, I don't know, 10, 12 years old. Uh, maybe fifth to seventh graders. I have no idea. I can't yeah. even remember. <laughs> uh, they were young. <laughs> um, and I was the, this is funny, because I'm not going to talk about like the, the Carolina Panthers or anything. <laughs> I, was, I was the offensive coordinator. It was all my buddies from high school. There was five of us. I was the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach. Um, and so I, I designed plays, which I used to do when I was in first grade, I used to draw football plays and, and stuff on pieces of the paper. And the, you know, it's kind of funny how life brings us back yeah. to where we were. And I just love designing football plays. Um, stop doing that when you reach a certain age, <laughs> <laughs> but then yeah. after, after that 15 years, uh, I just enjoyed it again. And, and working with, the quarterback or the leader of the team was um, was a joy because not only was I teaching him how to throw the football and, and to run the plays, uh, for some reason started kind of managing his role as a leader on the team and how to manipulate, not manipulate, that seems derogatory, but yeah. how to engineer the atmosphere and the, the mood of the, the other 10 kids on the offense. Um and I spent a lot of time doing that with him versus how to throw a spiral and stuff. And, okay. he, you know, these are 12-year-old boys. They, they understand stuff, and they're athletic kids. Uh, so in, in those two years or so of, of coaching Little League and, and training with an exceptional biker and runner, I, I kind of re- vitalized my desire to race and I didn't race in two years. I was like, it was just not of interest to me and until the end of those two years that I went and did a triathlon, um, again. And, uh, and I, I had a, a job in the music. I was working for a company that made music for, for, uh, up and coming or kind of fringe, um, Musicians, okay. you might hear some of their songs on the radio, but mostly these were your local uh, musicians. But they wanted they would put make CDs and they would uh, sell them at their concerts or whatnot, or they could sell them online or they could sell them at a music store. And I would manage the packaging and the process and the artwork and all the stuff for these artists. Yeah. Well, I lost that job, uh, and I didn't really know what to do I, my journalism major really didn't I didn't have anything to do with it i wasn't yeah. really excited or jazzed up about it um but i like triathlon i like sports so there was an opening at a tri shop in outside of dc high-end tri shop i still i believe it still exists today um uh, and the bikes in there were hot dog they yeah. were just fantastic um and back then I mean, we sold Pinarello, Colnago, Quintana Roo. Um, uh, there were some names that I don't even remember. Lightspeed, yeah. when Lightspeed was huge, soft ride bikes without the, the seat post. And they were, so the guy, uh, 
one of the managers there was a, a engineer used to design and work with soft ride bikes and somehow made his way over to DC and he was a bike fitter too. Um, and he taught me pretty much all I need, all I know now about bike fits or what I knew then about bike fits and fixing bikes. So I was, I was a mechanic, the bike fitter there, um, sold stuff, sold all the equipment, knew all about wetsuits and tri shoes and you name it. Um, and uh, so back in the day with bikes, like your Fuji behind you, yeah. and the majority of high-end bikes or any nice bike back then was a frame only. Yeah. You could buy a bike that's built up, and it was like 50000 bucks. But any bike that was nice, nice, you had to measure the athlete and order the handlebars, the seat posts, all the different parts, the crank length, to build a bike that would fit this guy perfectly. And then we would build the bike from scratch to the frame and then fit the guy on it or fit the athlete, woman, guy. Um, and so that's kind of where I came from, bike fitting world. And, and to some degree, I still use a lot of that information, even though I've gone on to certifications with uh, bike fitting companies. Um, so I had, I had that. Uh, I love that job. I loved working with athletes again uh even though i was working on bikes and selling bikes and doing this stuff i just love being in that world it revitalized me uh, back into the sport training with my good friend and then coaching kids yeah um and i would give advice to regular athletes because again back in 1999 there weren't a lot of people doing ironmans there just weren't many opportunities i think lake placid might have came out florida had been around and you had you had uh, Canada. Those are the three North American Ironmans back in the early 2000s. Um, so I started helping some people that would walk in the shop, of, you know, going for bike rides or doing bricks or how to train and things like that. Um, and I wanted to get my master's degree. When I, when I finally figured out this is what I like in life, I like sports, I like coaching and helping people. And I... And because of the Little League, I just I love the mental aspect of triathlon. I love the mental aspect of the leadership of working with other um, working with other teammates. And yeah. I was like, oh, sports psychology. That that sounds like a good degree. I, I, the reasons why I do the sport aren't because I like beating people or because um, I like competing that much. It's, it's what I learn and what I get from me. Yeah. It, it gives me so much um uh, knowledge and introspection and I know sports psychology is is helpful of that and that's if I want to work with other athletes I might be beneficial to understand really what sports psychology means when it comes to, to triathlon so uh, I moved down to North Carolina in Wilmington to want to get away from the cold at DC because yeah. I wanted to train again and get back into the sport and North Carolina had a great triathlon series Back then, setup events was the only game in town. They had maybe ten races, okay, um, in the whole state, and that was it. Everybody went to every race. And races were packed, five hundred to fifteen hundred people at every race. You knew everybody. It was like a, it's like a circus, a caravan. It just moved to different cities every couple of weeks. Um, and I got back to racing and, and being competitive, uh, and I still worked. I had a job at a bike shop. Um, 
and I was still in that environment and I was getting better. Once I, you know, got fit on my bike, I turned into a different athlete. And that's why I'm so passionate about fitting. And, and we can maybe talk about that sometime. Yeah. But once I was properly fit on my bike by the guy who helped inspire me to, uh, to do bike fittings, repositioned my bike and it changed how fast I could ride a bike and how fast I ran off the bike. And, yeah. and when I got down to Wilmington, I, well, even before then, I started seeing improvement. Now, this time I'm 27, 28 years old. Uh, and I'm, I'm getting pretty fast for whatever reason. I'm training smarter. I'm training with better athletes. I'm just I'm spending more time. I've, I've spent more years in the sport. Uh, so I've built up more of an aerobic engine or endurance space. Um, and I started to get competitive in my age group. And I started seeing these guys at the elite level going um, and racing against them. And I was like, I was interested on why, why are these guys racing in the elite category? Mm-hmm. And how do you get into the elite category? So I would go on the USA Triathlon. And I was like, how does someone become an elite or a pro? And it had, back then it had three criteria. Um, what, uh, what the three were. You had to finish top 10 yeah. of, of three races that had more than 500 people in it. That was one of the criteria. Um, and uh, it was 2003 where I think I did that at White Lake maybe. Okay. Finished ninth. I was like, oh, that's, look at that. That's pretty cool. Um, because there, it was just, an, you know, it was just like 500 to 1,500 people used to be at Rice Hill Beach. That was a big yeah. deal. Um, and, uh, and it was everybody. It wasn't like now where the guys who win the Greensboro races are from Greensboro and the guys who win Charlotte are from Charlotte. It's yeah. everybody in this state. And this is a pretty competitive state. So I placed top 10 at White Lake. Uh, and the funny thing is, Pete, uh, cut me off to ask yeah. other questions. But yeah. the night before I did that, um, I, I, I was training. We were swimming back and forth between a couple of those piers, the ex- swim exit and the swim entrance. Have you ever done that race? No, I have not done White Lake. Uh, it's it's a great venue. It's, yeah. it's a little tough to get to. Um, just crystal water it's probably seven o'clock at night and i'm going back and forth um and i've been in the sport for now this is 2003 since 96 you know about seven years yeah i'm working in a bike shop um yeah i'm working on getting my trying to go to school to get my master's but i'm in kind of this no man's land of uh you know i'm getting my late 20s i'm not making any money um, and I'm doing the sport and I'm sitting there on the dock after swimming, getting ready for this race. And I, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah. I, this isn't bringing me, this isn't fulfilling my life in other ways. Um, you know, I'm going to be 45 years old, uh, and I do sprint triathlons and I'll still be where I'm at today. Yeah. And that's not good enough for me. So at that that night, I was I had kind of made a decision. Uh, you know, I'm out. I, I need to go get a real job and have a real life. Yeah. Uh, I kind of made that decision, and I was dating a girl at the time, and I think I even told her that. Um, next day, I get ninth place. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> huh, well, this has been a bad gig. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's keep doing this. Um, 
So there, <laughs> I, I honestly forget the second race. I got ninth place again. It was a another big race. Yeah. I got ninth again, and I was like, "All right, so now I'm starting to look at the other races and series." And yeah. Again, there's only a couple races. So Riceville Beach comes up, and I, I was living in Wilmington at the time, yeah. and and it's the big one. 1500 folks and uh everybody's fast um, and sure enough i end up ninth place there wow and the guy who won was a, a pro okay at the time and I, I was talking to him at the end of the race going you know just because i kind of knew him from racing um here and there and training over the state of north carolina great super guy um i thought he was on another level i mean just like yeah. how did i come anywhere close to this guy so I got my criteria, but great. So I can race elites here in North Carolina or I can get my pro card or whatnot. But then I found a race up in Delaware um, in October. And I was like, man, if I can get ninth place in North Carolina, I bet I can, I bet I can do anything anywhere else. Because I, yeah. North Carolina, in my relationship to triathlon in South Car- uh, Southern California, where it was the Mecca, I thought North Carolina was much more competitive during that time with the races we had and just the state in general. I mean, there were just some spectacular athletes. So I go up to Cape Henlopen in Delaware, sprint triathlon, and uh, I win the whole thing. Like, nice. you know, and there were some guys that up there were just made me nervous just yeah. standing next to them at the <laughs> starting line. And I end up winning that race. And I was like, great. Uh, you know, I'm going for it. So I, I send in my stuff to USAT, get my pro card. You know, I, so I'm going to race pro now. Yeah. I, yeah. Like getting, you know, it's like t- you got Tiger Woods and then you got <laughs> the guy missing the cut plus 12. That's me, but I got my card. So, so I was in the sport, even though I was just about to change my life. I, uh, things changed. Um, so I got my pro card, um, Right when I got it, I got accepted to. No, I didn't get accepted. I was taking. I took my GRE. I was going to UNC Greensboro for sports psychology. That's I'm, that's that's where I'm going to be. Yeah. Things are starting to align, and uh, but as I was in Wilmington, I started coaching triathletes. Not the backtrack. Yeah. I started coaching four team in training. Okay. And uh, and I was the guy in town that had done an Ironman, which. Uh, put me on a on a different <laughs> level. Well, I was like, yeah, uh, I don't I don't tell them the whole story about my Ironman. <laughs> yeah. It's not that impressive. You and finished. You yeah, you shouldn't be listening to anything I said. <laughs> um, but so I started running practices for this uh, fundraising organization, not much dissimilar to what I still do today. Yeah, um, group trainings and getting them to where their goal is, and we had a lot of fun raised a ton of money for leukemia lymphoma and uh and uh, again it just it, it it verified that sports psychology is where i want to go yeah uh, i enjoyed it but again I, I i wanted to get my degree because i felt like i could have done a lot better at undergrad yeah and i did okay um but i felt like i needed i wanted to go back and, and do it again and get my master so uh, i took my jury got into uh, came up here to uh, Greensboro, did a couple interviews, and and I got accepted to the program, um, which was exciting because UNCG was one of the best programs yeah. in the country for sports psychology and practical sports psychology, which I was really interested in 
in working with athletes, not just in talking about motivation and prescribing and doing research and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and my wife, uh, to this day, she I met her through uh, team and training. She was uh, ran the chapter here in Greensboro, um, and I was the coach down in Wilmington, and we were set up uh, and met at an event. And you know, so when I look back at that yeah. flyer again, here comes team and training out of that. Well, meet my wife out of yeah. team and training through working with that organization because it fulfilled so much in me that I wanted to share that and give that back. Um, so I think I'm nearing uh, the answer to your question. So I come up here. To <laughs> You're <Greensboro>. good. <laughs> Sandra is uh, Sandra is in Greensboro. I'm yeah. like I like she's wonderful, uh, and I'm and I just got accepted UNCG. I was like, oh, that's this is going to work out great. Yeah. Um, for me and and it did. I came to Greensboro and and you know obviously things went well with us. Yeah. Um, I and. I continue to race, and as as I'm in the master's degree, I'm learning a lot. Um, I'm taking business classes as well. I'm coaching with this coaching group you know, where I'm learning a lot from these other coaches who have been coaching for quite some time. Um, I'm teaching weightlifting. I'm teaching swimming. I'm learning this all these skill sets while coaching athletes remotely or online. Um, so in a, and then. I'm even developing online, I'm developing statewide health and fitness programs for high schoolers Okay. Uh, as an employee at UNCG. So I'm doing all these little things that I don't realize what they add up to or what they mean. Um, and my last class, at, last semester at UNCG, I took a business class and our, the whole class was around, you're going to start a business. You need to come up with a business plan. And every week we would talk about certain aspects of business and, and all the people in here were, uh, they were already working for companies. They were older and yeah. um, had jobs and they were just trying to be better at their jobs. And they had a lot more answers than I did, but I could take uh, what they knew and apply it to my plan. And, and I developed E3 I constructed E3 from that plan, not really understanding all the different parts I was doing at the time would be really the business plan or yeah. the business model. Um, so I graduated in 2007, uh, UNCG, and I had already started working with athletes professionally on a personal level. And then I just created a new name, had a company design a logo, um, build a website and that's that's the the long version of how this all kind of came to be and it wasn't uh, it wasn't e3 endurance back in 2007 it yeah. was maybe 10 people that i was coaching online uh started a master's group that had not even not even it was i was teaching spin classes yeah. i was just doing things to to be in front of people and get comfortable with coaching or uh, directing and all that stuff. Um, but I, once I felt confident, I guess confident enough to, to, to believe in myself yeah. and believe in what I was projecting or saying was, would help people without, um, without hurting them, you know, making sure that, you know, sending them down the right path of things we're doing are proper, right. Um, 
And I know that because I know that now. Um, and I know what's not right. Yeah. I, I started building these programs into the company, uh, like a master swim, which we had two people. Yeah. We had two people for uh, two people for three people for a year. Yeah. A lot of people would have quit after that. <laughs> I should have. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I, it, it's, it's similar to Iron Man. Yeah. If you're going to start something, I mean, the, the whole business plan and, and doing all that stuff was a start. And I wasn't going to quit. Yeah. Even when things got hard. Similar to like mile 14 of the marathon at Iron Man. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm not going to stop. Yeah. Um, I'm going to figure out how to get to this finish line. It may not be pretty, but I'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, and I just kept doing it and, you know, I had no advertising budget. I could barely, you know, we weren't, I mean, it wasn't like the business was a huge profit. It was a lot of work. It was a lot yeah. of blood, sweat, and, um, and a lot of personal time. And I knew it would take time. Yeah. Um, and I just kept putting the time in and it kept growing and, and things started evolving and, um, yeah, so that's how I got into the coaching business. See, that, that's amazing. See, those are the things that I love about this is, you know, we don't, you don't have time to hear those stories. And I think as far as you as a business owner, I think, you know, people are tim intimidated getting into this type of sport. And the fact that, one, that they learned that, you know, Matt wasn't always the superstar that he is now out there just crushing everybody else on the course, that, you know, you have to get there somehow. And the first step is just getting on your bike or getting in the water and just doing it and eventually you figure it out not every mile is perfect trust me not every mile is perfect on the way but it still gets you one mile closer to the finish line that's all that matters right <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, if you didn't get off the couch <laughs> yeah how do you get to the finish line if you don't start somewhere you don't so with your sports psychology degree, which I didn't know, which is great. So what are you taking into account, like working with athletes over the age of 50? Yeah, the, the answer is time. And that is pretty dynamic. Um, how much time do you have to train? Um, how much time do you have to recover? You've been around this planet for a long time. Yeah. So... How much time do you have towards your goal? How much time would make you happy in completing this goal? Um, those are the biggest questions. That if you don't start from there, it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to move forward. Yeah. Um, for athletes over fifty, most of them are uh, have a, a job that requires more than forty hours a week. Uh, they got family life that requires as much time as it, they do work. When can they uh, work out? How long can they work out? Um, and what are they trying to accomplish? Yeah. And how much time do we have to train them to get to what would satisfy them and their goal uh, are the are the biggest questions. And once you start answering those questions, it's almost like the 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 tr the training volume or the the workouts, they almost define themselves. Uh, Cause if you have 
eight hours a week to train and you're training for a half Ironman, that's going to take six hours. Yeah. What, uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense if you look at it. Like, yeah. I, how can I only train eight hours a week if I'm trying to do a race in six? Um, and how much time have they been in the sport is, is key. Like I talked about, I, you know, I'd spent five or six years doing triathlon to no avail, but at a certain point you put in enough time, you're, you're going to improve. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and if you're just coming off the couch and you want to do a half Ironman in six hours and you've got three months to do it, but you only have eight hours to train. Wow. Where, where does this, where do we start? That's, that's always the tough part. And that's the interesting part of coaching is, is trying to solve these problems. Yeah. So then as far as like the psychology part, you know, it's hard to, so we got that time you set up the program, um, but getting people to stick to the program, um, how does that work? Because again, you know, we want we want miracles. We we don't want it tomorrow. We want it yesterday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was a thing we dealt with a lot in, in school was realistic goal set. And I think that's one of my uh, one of the things I do that sports psychology related that doesn't seem like it is. But yeah. when you're talking to someone and they're they're uh, they're trying to do the six hour half Ironman and with eight hours of training as an optimist, as a coach, you know, my first thing I do is go, yeah, awesome. What, what a challenge. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, Hey, I'm going to start training January 1st for a December half Ironman. All I want to do is finish. And yeah. I've got 12, I'm going to train 12 hours a week. It's like, Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Anybody could do that. Um, but when folks throw curveballs at you, uh, yeah, I got to control that desire to go, oh, oh, I think that's awesome. Because I almost drowned in my first race. And yeah. it, I was not prepared, but I loved it. Yeah. So it, 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 you got to remove yourself from, from, the, from the task at hand or the job at hand and go, okay, well, how realistic is this goal? And I'll explain really what it takes, depending on where the athlete's coming from, what his strength and limitations are as a swimmer, biker, runner, what, how much time it's gonna we're gonna need to develop this, and lay out, in my professional opinion, what would be realistic yeah. uh, of expectations in the mindset that oh, I think you could train for eight hours. That's great. If that's all you have, let's utilize all the time you have, um, but in the, the amount of time we have until the event, here's what we can accomplish. And it may not be the six hour mark, but we can get you across the finish line, keep you healthy. Yeah. Uh, we can learn a bunch of skills that down the road uh, you can take and keep working at this goal and chipping away at this goal. Um, so realistic goals are first. The second thing would be uh, short-term and intermediate goals. The long-term goal is already defined. Yeah. But like, you know, training for an Ironman or a half Ironman or even short course races, depending on where you're coming from, it may take a while. So how do you, you can't, it's hard to train all year long because mentally and physically we, we just go up and down and there's times where we just don't feel like doing it or we're, we're under recovering over training um, and, and working towards something for so long um, is hard. Kind of get burnt out. 
because yeah. most people, because they want to do this so bad that they think about it every day, every workout. Um, they use it to reinforce like, getting out of bed in the morning to keep them accountable for doing stuff that maybe today they really don't feel like doing. Uh, and that just leads to uh, fatigue mentally, physically, emotionally. Yeah. So those intermediate and short-term goals are helpful to say, all right, we've got six weeks. We're going to work to, to do this short race or this, um, this time trial. We want to be able to run eight minutes for a 5K uh, in practice. Set those things up so they, they could focus on those things uh, for a short period of time while those things are working them toward their long-term goal. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So then how about like for strength training? Are you building a lot of that into your programs for your athletes? I used to. Okay. I used to. It's, this is what's interesting. I, as coaches, I try not to get out of my jurisdiction. Okay. Um, and the thing with being a triathlon coach, uh, we're, we're asked to do a lot. I mean, yes, you have to coach somebody how to swim, how to bike, how to run. It's a lot of information. Um, and I have a lot of certifications in, in all those single sports. And I cover all those three sports. I, I have not taken a, a large interest personally in getting strength and conditioning coaching certifications. I used to uh, work at a gym and I used to train people at a gym in gym settings but so I have experience with strength training and I like it and I, I could easily prescribe it. But without having the certifications, I back I back away from it okay. because I don't not that I feel like I'm going to give misinformation. I just that's not my level of expertise. It's kind of like if. Um, yeah, like a chiropractor. Yeah. Like, uh, how can I help my back's hurting? this and that, what do you suggest? I just, I, I, that's not my area of expertise. I'm going to put you on to someone who will give you much better information. So in terms of strength training, I emphasize it and I encourage it. Yeah. But if you're not with the person, them doing the exercise, I strength training can lead to a lot of injuries if the athlete's not doing it correctly. Uh, if they're doing the improper load, the uh, improper um, volume uh, sets or reps, they could be training their body to do something completely different than what they want to do when it comes to their long-term goal. Um, and if I'm not with someone I, I, in that setting, I it makes me very nervous. Yeah. I, can, I can do a swim workout and a run workout uh, because I've seen you swim and I've seen you run. Uh, and a lot of times I'll take people in the gym and I will take them through exercises, show them this is how uh, I need these exercises done and prescribe a workout based on that. But I don't just blanket say uh, eight by 10 uh, leg press at 75% max effort or whatever it is. Um, I, I tend not go that route. But as a 50 year old athlete, if, if that person says I've got eight hours and one of their and they want to do a half Ironman, so they don't have a lot of experience in endurance. They don't have a huge aerobic base. It would behoove that athlete to spend at least one of those hours, if not two, 
to develop strength and then use the other time for the aerobic building that this athlete needs to to be able to go that far. Um, Yeah, I think it's crucial. I just don't do it personally unless I'm physically with the athlete. I agree. I respect that actually as a physical therapist of you not prescribing a lot of strength training and stuff because, again, you don't know what what their body's like. You don't know what their past medical history is. Because do you take any of that into account? Oh, sure. Um, anytime I work with an athlete, I have an extensive questionnaire I have them fill out. I'll go through that questionnaire and and derive a lot of other questions from their responses. Okay. Uh, you know, past injuries. You know, do they have any experience uh, with weightlifting and things like that? Uh, you know, how much do you incorporate stretching and, and all of the things around that. Um, and it's, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I try to get as much information as possible to then be able to prescribe the best training possible for that individual so that one, they stay motivated and focused uh, as well as injury free. Yeah. There's nothing just ruins, uh, you know, your goals is, I mean, if you can't get to the start line, you're never going to get to the finish line. So, Yeah. I think that's the biggest issue. As you know, working with these athletes, everybody's always hurt, especially the ones that aren't having any guidance. And I think that's probably the number one reason where a coach does come in handy because I think, as you know, look at the, look at our tri team. Um, somebody is, there's always somebody nursing something. And when you're training 20, 30 hours a week, I think some of that stuff happens. Um, but if you're, training and trying to cram in eight hours and you're going, well, I'm going to try to do 13 hours of training in eight hours. Body doesn't like that. Right. Right. It, it, it doesn't work at all. <laughs> so have you had any injuries you've had to overcome? Oh, sure. Sure. Um, that, uh, yeah, I, I had an over running all those marathons back then. Uh, I had, um, patella issues. Okay. Probably had some IT issues too. Patella issues, just overuse, overrunning, kind of coming up with my own plans and, and being the optimist thinking, yeah, this will work. This is going to be great. Uh, lack of recovery, lack of fueling, because uh, it wasn't really um, a part of endurance training back then. Um, yeah, I got hurt a uh, lot, sidelined me. So I went to the doctor to get it. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't surgery or anything um, to get our MRI and check out what really is the problem. Cause I could barely walk. Uh, he, pers- uh, he prescribed uh, putting a, a patella band under my knee, taking okay. some time off of running. And this doctor in Los Angeles had written a book called save your knees. Yeah. So I, I went home and read it right away. And I was a heel striker. No one taught me how to run. Yeah. I was a heel striker um, and a pronator because of the heel striker. I went, hit my heels, rolled inside, pushed off my toes. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of stress on the, on the joints. Um, and in this book, it, I still have this book to this day. Um, I've carried it around to five different places I've lived for 20 some odd years. Yeah. And it taught me how to run on my forefoot. Uh, which was a very challenging thing to change. Um, 
running mechanics. Uh, but I did it. Uh, you know, I took a lot of beating on the calves and uh, it just, it was hard. It was hard to do, but I want to save my knees. So I kept doing it and eventually became the four foot runner that I am. Yeah. And, and changing that and having that injury, it actually helped me become a much better, faster runner. Uh, I would have never run it that fast unless I changed my foot strike. Um, so that was my first big injury. Uh, and I learned a lot of, uh, about that. It's like, all right, mechanics are really important. Um, second injury came and it came twice. Um, my first season racing pro, the big race was St. Anthony's. Okay. Best guys in the world were down there. And I was going to line up me and 30 other guys world, I mean, Olympians, world-class, world champions. I was going to do everything I could do to get shape. And what I knew as a, as a big sport athlete or a, a big guy sport athlete, football and, and discus and shot, we were always in the weight room. So I was taking my 15 to 20 hours of training, whatever I was doing. And then I was adding like two to three days a week in the gym, doing the same pounding on my legs that I was already doing running and biking. Um, so I had probably a month before the race, my IT just locked up. Okay. Uh, I, and I had no idea. It was like someone took a knife into the side of my knee and I couldn't walk. I couldn't run. I could walk. Um, and I had no idea what I did. And, you know, I didn't, I don't even think I had health insurance back then. So okay. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't see anybody. I just took some time off of it, did everything I could do, water running and, and the likes. Um, and by the time I got to St. Anthony's, uh, I was barely able to run. I ran, walked kind of the 10 K okay. uh, in pain. And that, but then eventually it just went away. Yeah. Just, I stopped doing what I was doing and it went away. Second year. All right. Going back to St. Anthony's, I'm going to do a little better this year. Same problem. Went to the weight room, did all this hard lunges and squats <laughs> and everything to make myself faster and stronger, <laughs> but had the same issue. Yeah. Ah, uh, and, and years later, I find out that if I just would have stretched a little bit, yeah. I, the muscles around wouldn't have gotten so tight and the joints wouldn't have got stressed and, um, and I wouldn't have all this pain because when muscles get tight, they move things differently that cause all this pain. Um, and then I was just like, you idiot. <laughs> you know, why, why didn't you find this out? Why'd you find this out the hard way? I, you could have, you could have missed one a week of training yeah. uh, by doing a little stretching or foam rolling. You got us what? Um, so that was, uh, uh, I learned a lot from those injuries, but I wouldn't call that an injury. That's just overuse yeah. to some degree. Um, and then the, the injury that kind of ended my com comp competitive career was um, I broke my tibial plateau uh, in a bike race. Okay. Criterium um, accident on the last turn. And uh, I have 12, I have a titanium plate and 12 screws in my left knee Okay. from that silly little bike race that didn't mean a thing. Um, and I, and it, that's an injury where as a runner, it's the last injury you ever want to have. Yeah. That's where you load. Yeah. Um, but I had a great physical therapist who helped me recover, um, gave me the confidence that I could get back to, uh, doing what I was doing. My surgeon did a great job. Um, and I'm able to still compete okay. at, at whatever level I'm competing at now. 
Yeah. But that was uh, that was eight years ago. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. Um, so are you building in, uh, recommending any yoga? Are you doing any stretching yourself now? Or uh, what do you do for recovery? Um, yes, I... <sighs> Well, that that's an interesting question. That that would that would mean uh, you that I'm training eight to ten hours a week. Okay. Um, that that would be uh, that would be untrue. Okay. Uh, I'm not. I don't. I'm not. I don't train that much. To okay. Be honest with you. Well, um, that was the other question I was going to have: is how much are you actually doing now? Because I know you're so busy doing everything else. Yeah. Um, I'm. I'm. When when I'm training, okay, let's do it. Event, yeah, um, and say, you know, a marathon or you know, I still think I have the ability to qualify for Kona <laughs> in our age group. Um, I just need the time to train and put all those pieces that we're talking about into play. Um, when I do that, I'm almost always stretching after after a training. You know, working the hips, the calves, the lower back, just doing all the proper things, hitting all those major muscle groups um, so that I can recover quicker. Um, doing a lot of work with the, the like Normatech boots, trying to generate better blood flow, get rid of some of that hydrogen waste. Um, really hydrating more, eating properly, okay. um, going to get a massage maybe once every week or once every two weeks. Uh, going to the chiropractor, making sure, you know, things are moving properly. Um, yoga is, is something I enjoy personally. Yeah. I just don't make any time to do it. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll stretch for five minutes after every hour of training. Um, but I just don't take the time to go to yoga. Okay. Do you recommend it for your athletes, especially those? By, by far. Okay. Again, yeah. Uh, when it comes to working with uh, 50-year-old athletes and almost every athlete, yeah. my perspective is one that is recovery-focused. Okay. Uh, nothing You don't get better if you don't re- recover from the damage you do from training or just from training itself. So, and it, this, so all the programs I design are f- from that perspective. Okay. Um, depending on what the goal is to go to the Olympics or finish your first 5k or, or just get third in your age group at the, the Trivium series. Yeah. None of those goals are, are realistic if there isn't any time allotted for that recovery process. Yeah. Um, so where you put the workouts on a weekly basis versus the 30% of your intensity and the 70% of your more aerobic based stuff, all right, how do you put all those pieces in play that magnify your opportunity to recover knowing how many hours you have to train and what other life stresses you have? Uh, And if you can incorporate some sort of stretching yoga, uh, recovery boot time or whatnot into that program, that would only make things go much better. Be less injured. uh, Your performance gains will be much greater and your, your proximity to that end goal or that uh, you know, ultimate goal is is so much closer and quicker okay so currently are you doing much i know you're, you're coaching so are you doing a lot of swimming or biking or running now um 
I was, yeah, uh, to some degree, I okay. had an Iron Man coming up in five weeks that is no longer. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was doing a lot about six weeks ago. Okay. Um, I was training for a marathon at the end of July. Uh, had the Iron Man in September, along with B to B half Ironman and then yeah. you know half a couple half marathons. So a full fall schedule. Um, but once the realization of COVID uh, of just the rest of the year yeah. being canceled, um, I just stopped. I stopped really stopped doing that. I, okay. I went for a run today. I swam yesterday. Okay. Uh, I do a lot of exercise while I'm working with the kids. I'm riding with them and, and uh, running with them to some degree. So I'm very active, but I am not, I'd say I'm not training right now. Okay. But you're, you're definitely active because you are, I know you do stuff with them. So that's good. Um, so uh, this is going to be basically a twofold question. So I'm going to want you to think about when you're like heavy into, like you're doing all those events and you're really in full training mode and you're doing events. What do you think are maybe two or three secrets to your success? And then I want to think of the same thing, like with some of your athletes that you're doing, what are those things that you would probably say are most important to them in terms of workouts? No, I'm going to say, so here's the example, nutrition, sleep, training, intensity, maybe attitude, uh, family and friend support and recovery, kind of those six things or anything else you can think of. Again, um, all roads lead to recovery for me. Okay. And, but all the things you just said there, fall under that in my eye, in my eyes, yeah. um, nutrition and fueling for training is really how I look at it is, is fueling for recovery. Okay. Um, you know, yeah, you can go off for a six hour bike ride and, uh, and try not to eat much because you want to burn fat or do whatever, but that might set you back in terms of recovering from the six hour bike ride, uh, for days. Yeah. Um, so a lot of, so nutrition, fueling, that's all going to help you recover quicker. Sleep is going to help you recover quicker. Um, you know, healthy relationships, um, to people in your life, your immediate life are going to help you, uh, keep your distress to a minimum. Yeah. Um, and what we've learned is that, you know, your, any stress, your body reacts to equally. Uh, so the, the more you stress you can have in your life versus distress is going to keep your body a little less stressed or, or a little healthier. So, um, again, recovery is key okay. and you know, you've got yoga, you've got, uh, um, but to answer, answer your question, what, uh, what's the most, if I, if I were to just take recovery, what's the most important part yeah. of all those things that fall under the umbrella of recovery? Would I suggest if, if you're heavy into training, like, we say we were in this fall. Um, it would be, it'd be a toss up between sleep and nutrition. Yeah. Um, man, but I would say sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we all tend to sleep is really so important. I think for, for recovery and, yeah, I, I agree. I think, but we don't all don't get it all. You know, there's so much going on yeah. right now and the stress of what we have. Stress is by far the worst thing that I think we all have to deal with and it messes everything up. And right now we're in 
depending on your outlook of where we are right now, I think most of us have finally said we're done. We're not going to worry about the things we can't control anymore. Um, so I think most of us are, you know, different now than we were, say, in April. Um, we just it's a way of life now. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's one of those points where I got to uh, maybe six weeks ago where I said, I, you know, I'm just it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm going to stop thinking it's going to. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And that's, you know, I guess it's good because it yeah. frees you from uh, the attachment to that goal, but it doesn't help, you know, a lot of us get into the sport and, and, and continue to train and race because it, it makes us work towards something. But the periphery of that is that, you know, we just, we become healthier yeah. uh, or we should become healthier and uh, it makes our quality of life a little better. Yeah. Um, so not having that goal um, kind of decreases that accountability or that, uh, that natural tendency to get out and do things, you know, maybe our volume drops by 50% yeah. training eight hours a week. And now we're only doing four and that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah. And, and looking at a 50 year old triathlete that works, has got two kids, a wife and, um, uh, so much time to train, and he's got to do all his training early in the morning uh, or after the kids go to bed. And it's like, okay, well, there's not a lot of time for that most important thing in triathlon training, sleep. Yeah. So how do you, uh, so maybe, maybe the most important thing in that athlete's case is nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good. So who's the old, or I don't need a name, but what's the oldest athlete you've ever really trained? Uh, yeah. Um, it's a good question. Yeah. I I don't know the number. I would say it's for right around that 70-year-old mark. Okay. okay. Um, maybe a little maybe a little higher. Um, but I Yeah, I see with E3 and all the different pieces we have, um, you know, I've, I've got the luxury and the, and the opportunity to work with, you know, just cyclists or just runners and just swimmers and, and, and obviously a lot of triathletes. Um, so I, I, I've got 70 year old cyclists. I've got, uh, 70 year old triathletes. Um, I think I've done bike fits for guys in their late seventies that are time trialists. They're not crit racers. Yeah. Uh, 75. I think you, you do the individual, uh, (laughs) But yeah, and what fascinates me about that that group, that population, um, is how good a shape they're still in. Um, they're an inspiration because they've they've committed to this, and they've probably been doing it their entire life um, in one form or another. But they've never lost the drive yeah. to keep training or exercising and maybe the competitions are helpful. Maybe they don't do any competitions anymore, but they're still going at it and, and have some sort of intermediate or long-term goal setting. Um, and, and it fascinates me that they have, you know, they don't really fall off. And with triathletes, we have a season and we build up and then we transition and then we prep and then yeah. uh, build and do all that stuff again. Guys in their seventies, obviously, they have a lot more time to train. They have a lot less stressors in life. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they 
just they don't take a day off. They're they're nonstop all the time, and uh, it's really cool to see. Um, and it's and it's great to see that you can still do at a high level what we're doing right now yeah. in our mid forties, early fifties, yeah, uh, and do it well. Yeah, that's why I love it. I've been involved with the senior games here locally for six years, and they have athletes in their eighties and. Uh, just talk to somebody. He's just turned ninety. He's still running twenty-one miles a week, doing a run walk, but he's still active. Gets out there five days a week and still playing tennis, and that just is incredible to me. I mean, it just it makes me say, okay, I'm not going to sit on my couch. I need to get up and I need to do something because it just shows me again what is possible when you see these athletes. And I, it's one of those things. The senior games, I recommend everybody go whether it's the track and field events or they even do cycling, they go around country park. Uh, there's a 10 K you got to go out just to see these athletes in their 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s and even nineties now still doing stuff. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> fascinating. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer, but uh, who are those people that you kind of rely on when kind of the going gets tough and kind of helps you move forward? In terms of staying active and healthy and training, uh, uh, so I guess as far as that help you get through when when training is hard or right now when that kind of you lean on, who are those people that you lean on that help you get through? Wow, yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, I can probably name a few people. Um, and I, and I, I will, mm-hmm. but I, I have a tendency not to, not to lean on a lot of folks Okay. in a bad way. Probably I, okay. I, I probably take on way too much, um, for myself thinking maybe this comes back to that. You started something, you're just going to get figure out how to get through it. Um, so I, I probably don't reach out to to much people during hard times. I kind of just internalize everything and, and that's not helpful. Okay. Um, in terms of tough like COVID or what's been going on for the last five months, if, if I were to open up to someone and tell them how I really felt and like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated or I'm angry, obviously my wife I've talked to, yeah. um, but in terms of, you know, training partners, uh, uh, yeah, I've got a couple, of, you know, friends that I run with um, that when we go running, it's not training based; it's emotionally based. Where we're there to just talk, and whatever we end up talking about, just is what we talk about. And a lot of once you open up any conversation, you know, most things kind of start flowing through it. Um, but yeah, you know, my good running buddy Matt, um, good uh, strength training friend Joey. Those, those guys, uh, yeah. Dr. Francis a lot. Um, it's usually the person I'm with yeah. for a long time. And you, when you're out running for an hour, uh, you spend time with them. Or if I'm coaching with Francis for hours, um, we end up just talking about stuff. But, uh, but yeah, no, I don't have any professional that I see. Okay. Or, uh, and I think about that a lot, you know, in times like this where it's like, oh, you know, I don't want to train or there's no more races. I just, every time I see an email about a race that's gotten canceled, I each it's, it's like, it's growing. Um, I'm getting more and more upset and frustrated with the world 
not just our little world yeah. and not trying to be selfish like oh we can't do triathlon this whole world stinks yeah. we need to do what we <laughs> want to do uh, but i'm just going all right well this is a hard place to navigate mentally yeah uh, even with just outletting on your friends and your family it's like maybe there's someone that actually has some answers that i can take or answers for me not necessarily just general answers um and just listening but uh but i don't know who that would be yeah a psychiatrist or psychologist or yeah. um some sort of other health professional or counselor yeah. um and i don't you know i and then I start to question, am I just being narcissistic? And why, yeah. why don't I just go for a walk yeah. or go for a run and, yeah. and just sort it out and just feel better about myself and the world in itself. So it's funny how uh, I used to, um, I used to run to circle back because I wanted to take some time away from the noise and just get better. And always after I exercise, I think that's why a lot of athletes do this is yeah. I feel better when I get done. Yeah. I hate doing it, but I, I love having done it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the mystery that surrounds us in this place right now um, uh, seems unsolvable and, and, and it's it's frustrating in many ways. But the, you know, going out and exercising and training in this environment can help. So it's like we should all be getting in better shape, even though this this is keeping us from doing what we love to do normally. So why do we need an Ironman at the end of the year yeah. to satisfy us um, when we could be training for an Ironman without there ever being one? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a huge point. You know, I think part of what most of us, especially us middle of the Packers, are doing this stuff. One, we do it one for our health. And then we're right. doing it for one, just the accomplishment of doing it. But then honestly, we're doing it for just our training partners. You know, there's nothing better than going to do a group ride because you're just going to hang out with everybody else. And oh, by the way, you're going to bike 50 miles, but you're you're hanging out and you're talking, you're finding about what's going on in their life. So I think I view them all as just mini counseling sessions for all of us anyways, whether, you know, we uh, anything is accomplished, but you basically you get it out and you have fun and you exercise and you're right. When you come back, you just feel so much better. Um, so, you know, that's why Walt, you know, you saw what Walt and I are doing this weekend, didn't you? Did he? Is, is he? Is that the tell escape? You? Yeah. Yeah. So I have is that coming up. That's Saturday. OK. Yeah. So 12 hours of Walt and I roaming around, you know. Who knows where we're going to be, where Rich is going to put us. <laughs> so. I, it's fascinating. Uh, it's really fascinating. Um, problem solving is best. Yeah, it's really going to be an interesting thing to see when we're uh, where we end up. And uh, luckily, we're doing it aided. But it should be, you know, 12 hours with Walt should be we're going to have a good time. I will tell you that. So. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I spent 12 hours with Walt <laughs> in many Ironman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, I, yeah. On the same and course, but fun. yeah, on the same course, yeah. you're never together. You're, you're a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just great. So yeah, in terms of group stuff, I think that's essential. Um, yeah. you know, you, you see a lot of people that love to train on their own and, and that's just their thing. And, and, uh, and it's, it's great for them. I just, I think what kept me in the sport of triathlon is just a community. Yeah. I mean, 
doing a bike race and even a 5k to some degree or running race the after the finish line and what transpires beyond that uh, doesn't exist or come close to what it what triathlon has done um to build its community yeah you you get to finish with the race well that's that's where the fun just starts and it goes on for quite some time, probably as long as the race itself. Uh, nobody just does a race, gets in their car and takes off. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just being around people suffering and sharing that suffrage. Yeah. I think it's just a way of life and we're just bringing that into the sport. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, so do you have any special quotes or mantras you use to get you through? Oh, I've, I've got a lot of them. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I've got a lot of things that I think are funny. Okay. Um, so like if, you know, in terms of training, one of the mantras that you know, I, I say all the time, whether or not I believe it, and if I say it to someone, I don't expect them to think I really believe it. Um, was a quote I heard one time. It's, if you're not getting better, you get worse. <laughs> you know, so if you're not out here getting it done or trying to get better, you're, you're not getting better. I mean, you're yeah. not doing it. You got to put the effort in. Um, and it's a little over the extreme <laughs> and over the top. Uh, but it, it resonates me because it resonates with me because it's like, okay. And as a coach, I see it a lot and I'm motivating a lot of younger athletes that, may or may not be interested because yeah. they're just out to be on a team or whatnot. Um, yeah. Effort is everything. Yeah. And, and it's not how hard you go. It's, it's intent. Um, if you're going to go for a swim, a bike or run, you're going to do a sprint triathlon. You're going to knock out this workout. I mean, if you're going to do something, do it. Yeah. Um, don't go there moan the whole time you're there complain that you really don't want to be there if you're there be there and do it get it done um and then move on um and and talking about the whole triathlon it's you're going to do a thousand workouts between now and and the race um not everyone can be you know the perfect day you're not going to feel great and it's uh, uh it may be a day that you think you can never do this Ironman. But regardless, if you put whatever effort you have into that workout, you're going to get better. Yeah. Uh, it's going to, it may not show up that day and it may not show up next week, but there's going to be some place in that race where you're going to need what you learned from that workout. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Yeah, um, I like it actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, that's a little over the top. Um, no. <laughs> you know, I think F it's just, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't, mantras are, it's a funny thing because yeah. in sport psychology, that's one of the chapters or aspects that we talked about. Um, when it comes to tennis players or any, any athlete, uh, one of the, the mantras from back then when we were, I was really deep in sports psychology was, uh, if you excuse the language was, um, um, F it, fix yeah. it and forget it. Yeah. Get out the emotion. You just did something wrong. You, you got a flat, whatever. Uh, you need to confront it. Yeah. 
You need to get out the emotion. You're mad. You're angry. You, you missed a shot or you had a bad swim. Accept it. Get mad. Get it out of your system. Figure out how to move on from there. Um, or I'm sorry. Uh, you, yeah, you get out the emotions yeah. and you have to move beyond that. So you have to forget that. You have yeah. to stay in the present um, and, then, and then fix it so it doesn't happen again. So if you can F it, uh, forget it and fix it, yeah. um, I mean, you just move forward. Yeah. Uh, and there's in an Ironman in a 12 hour race, there is, there's plenty of time <laughs> to fix all the mistakes we make. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's one of the, the ones I've, that is stuck with me. It's been 13 years and, yeah. uh, we talk about just having a good mentality to set yourself up for success. You have to come in with the mindset that is, all right, I've done all this work. I'm at the start line. I'm healthy. I've, I've, I've done a lot of imagery to, to, to identify what it is I need to do on this course at this moment, how I'm going to handle the bike course and the run course. This is my plan A. And then um, you try to execute that the best you can. And knowing something might come along the way and you have to have a plan B. Um, but uh, yeah, imagery, preparation, and the understanding that it may not be perfect. And if you have that perfect day, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Celebrate it. Yeah. They're very few and far between. Yeah. Nothing ends up being perfect. So you're right. You can make you can make it perfect just by your outlook on it. Um, so and it doesn't have to be a podium. Uh, you know, it's a, for me, you know, I'm a very purpose driven guy. I think you've probably learned that over the years. And um, and that kind of leads me to that last quote you know that you see me use my miles are four uh, just again I use it as a reminder to me of just one how lucky I am and you know I'm enjoying this journey every day I'm enjoying the journey with this podcast and talking with you but everything I do I, I'm lucky that we can I can still do the things that I'm doing right now and I'm gonna enjoy it as long as I can because there's no reason to be miserable and you know look at all the bad things because it can you can go down some very dark holes um, so for you, do you have, if I gave you the quote, my miles are four, what is it for you? Yeah. When I read that earlier, my first thought was, um, exploration. Yeah. I, I, I'm interested in, in things that I don't know. And I'm always looking to find out answers to things I don't know. Um, and exercise or my miles, um, I'm trying to find things I don't know about myself, don't know about the sport, don't know about the run. Um, and maybe there's something deep down inside me uh, that I've pondered for years. And in the next 30 minutes, I might have some different insight or might gain some more insight uh, to shifting those pages or files around and, and coming up with a, uh, a more coherent thought about all the th thoughts that I have up there uh, inside my head. So yeah, I'm always, I'm always looking for answers. And I think that's where I started into endurance sports because you have so much time to, to learn or experience things um, and to spend time inside yeah. yourself or within that uh, that's what I, that's what I got the most out of when I started, and 
you know, I, I guess I'm not a really good explorer because I haven't found <laughs> what it is that, uh, that apparently I'm searching for. Um, and that's a good thing. It keeps you in the sport. You know, it, it'll come eventually. You know, you, you don't need the answers today. Eventually, they'll come. <laughs> right. Hey, Matt, that's all I, that's all I have. I, I appreciate you taking the time. This is awesome. Oh, yeah, Pete. No, I, I it's, I, I'm not, I'm someone that's always looking forward. So to take a trip in the past and kind of look back is something I, I never, rarely ever do. Uh, so thanks for listening to me remember all those things. Hey, I, I love it. And, you know, I, I like we said, it's just so hard that, you know, we get to see each other for such a short period of time. And, and it's so good to actually, I think, to, to get to know you a little bit more and the people that I've spent time with, um, because I just, I love those stories. I love hearing, you know, this is just a picture right now, but there were a lot of things that happened prior to that, which I think is important for us to, to know. So I, I thank you for being open. Yeah, yeah. Anytime, man. Anytime. I, I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and were able to gain some insight into how one weathering athlete approaches each day of training and racing to stay as injury-free as possible. I believe his biggest strengths are his attitude and his willingness to put in the work necessary to succeed as an athlete, coach, and business owner. As he states, most people may have quit after running a master swim group with only two people for a year, but he used that time to work on his craft and continue to coach, which is his passion. His work coaching youth football in his 20s provided the foundation for his work with the junior and high school triathlon E3 team. His E3 endurance brand has grown over the years and is not uncommon to see both his youth and adult members of the team on the podium. I should know because I'm chasing those my age group at all the local events. E3 endurance has joined forces with our local triad tri team, so I expect to see many more team awards at upcoming Ironman events. Through his sports psychology degree and experience as an athlete, he has the insight to help athletes set realistic goals but then to work to push them out of their comfort zone to succeed at things they may not have thought possible. Thank you for taking time with your busy schedule. If you find today's or any other episode inspiring, I ask you to consider to join our patron program. Details can be found at www.weatheredathlete.com. Also, please don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast, share with your friends, give me a rating on iTunes, leave me a comment or drop me a line if you feel what you have what it takes to enter the Weathered Athlete Podcast. Lastly, no matter how you complete your miles, I encourage you to use the following hashtag, my miles are for, as a way to reinforce the purpose of those miles. As always, my miles are for the journey. Pete Perusik.